I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Welcome to Go and Do. I'm Daniel, and this week Feely and I will cover Alma chapters 23 through 29 where we learn about what happens to the converts of the sons of Mosiah as they change their name to the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and change a lot about their day-to-day lives. It's always interesting to me how the scriptures from the past reflect our current situation and even our future. And in this section especially, I think we see a lot of things that are applicable to our day. We hope you enjoy it. It seems like there is a a lot of stuff in this lesson that seemed like it would be applicable to our world today that maybe not in the same way as it was to them but that they were all there was a lot of symbolism i you know at the beginning just the intro where it starts do you do you sometimes wonder whether people can really change Maybe you worry about whether you can overcome poor choices you've made or bad habits you've developed. Or you may just have similar worries about loved ones. So that really stuck out to me because this whole lesson is kind of going to be about the mighty change in the Lamanite people. And they change their ways and they're converted and then they they change their some of their traditions and habits and and so much so that then they're they're um, like in Alma twenty seven twenty seven where it says that they never did fall away. They were so converted. And the part, like you mentioned, how it's so applicable to our day because we're dealing with this right now in our lifetime as a as a country and as a world as a society. It's the thought that what do I do with people I don't agree with? Yeah. Do I cast them off? In this sense, in the scripture sense, they were talking about war and killing each other and continuously having conflict. In our lifetime, maybe it doesn't get to that, but it gets to do we block them? Do we insult them? Do we talk down to them? Do we assume that they're less intelligent or not as patriotic as us? Or, you know, whatever... There's various forms this manifests itself, this enmity towards each other um, yeah. because we are different and have different beliefs and 
and and and it's interesting because the Lamanites themselves they didn't consider themselves the bad ones. They considered themselves the ones that were wronged, right? Wronged, and so these Nephites are out there prospering, and they they um, they are liars, and they. They, they, they did bad things to our fathers, Laman and Lemuel, and they stole, you know, the plates and they stole the birthright and, you know, and woe is us. And likewise, the Nephites, they, you know, they, I don't know, I don't know much how it goes in that direction, but it wasn't until, you know, the sons of Messiah and Amma decide, hey, let's go talk to them. Let's go help them. You know? Yeah, I think the interesting part about that is, um, in I think it's in chapter 26 it says something about how the Nephites laughed them to scorn when they decided to go and, and teach the Lamanites and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that the sons of Mosiah were really rebellious, they weren't really involved in the gospel, they had this huge conversion where they changed themselves drastically, they started going around um, making amends for what they'd done and then they're first mission out was let's let's go for the big one you know let's go directly to the lamanites and i think people were like all right listen we've been in the gospel all this time we know how bad the lamanites are and you think you're just gonna make some changes in your life and say sorry and then go out and convert the worst of the worst these people who are you know i said a hardened and ferocious people you think that just really fast you're suddenly going to become the saviors of this entire people. And they, they probably got a little bit of internal criticism from fellow members, you know, saying, look, I, you have good intentions. I think you guys are great. You've really made some changes in your life. But this is going to be a big challenge. You can't directly go to the Lamanites. And that whole chapter where, where Ammon is basically celebrating their successes not not and he even says i boast not of myself but i glory in my god kind of saying you know we set out for this this astronomical goal and we were able to achieve a lot of great things and it wasn't because of us we always kept our focus in this is because of god this is because of the spirit working in people and i think you know, how many times do we say, well, they're not ready to hear this, or I don't know, that they might be a little bit too far gone, or so-and-so in my family or one of my friends or whatever, I don't know that they necessarily want to hear the gospel, but I'll, I'll just accept them for who they are, and that'll be enough. Of course, you should accept them for who they are, but why not say, Heavenly Father, I know if I go at this on my own, I'm probably just going to be offensive or rub people the wrong way, or I know that I can't do it. This person will not listen to me, but help me be an instrument and help me be the catalyst that will make them make changes. Help me bring the Spirit to them. And I think that's kind of what the way they approached it. We're not going to go in as their saviors. We're going to go in and say, let us serve you. And then see what see what how the Lord can work through us. Just the the intro, you know, about can can people really change in, in abandoning the uh, false traditions and things? Maybe 
it reminded me of this talk by President Oaks called the the Gospel Culture. Hmm. Um, I think he gave it in conference, but well, it's the same. It's the same edition, but it's in the March 2012 enzyme. And it's a little bit long. This part I want to read, but I think it's really worth it. It says um, a distinctive way of life. As a way to help us keep the commandments of God, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have what we call a gospel culture. It is a distinctive way of life, a set of values and expectations and practices common to all members. This gospel culture comes from the plan of salvation, the commandments of God, and the teachings of living prophets. It guides us in a way we raise our families and live our individual lives. The principles stated in the proclamation of the family are a beautiful expression of this gospel culture. To help its members all over the world, the church teaches us to give up any personal or family traditions or practices that are contrary to the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ and to his gospel culture. In this, we heed the warning of the Apostle Paul who said that we should not let alone let anyone spoil us through philosophy, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. When it comes to giving up false traditions and cultures, we praise our younger people for the flexibility and progress, and we appeal to our older members to put away traditions and cultural and tribal practices that lead them away from the path of growth and progress. We ask all to climb to the higher ground of the gospel culture to practice the traditions that are rooted in the restored gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I, I mean, he's very blunt and it is very applicable to our day. You know, we have to accept change and accept improvement and also let go of false traditions and habits and practices that maybe were correct at some point, but we have grown past that or they weren't correct to begin with and and we need to accept that the, our our citizenship in the kingdom of God trumps all our other citizenships from all around the world you know yeah and I think that when we start thinking about how is that gospel culture defined what is it based on um, it's not based on any politics it's based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's based on his teachings. It's based on the concept of loving one another, putting others before ourselves. That is the basis of a gospel culture. And I think that a lot of times we want to tie it to other things because tying it to tying other things to gospel culture elevates those other things to a higher status. But we got to be careful about that because you know, wh then we start attributing uh, gospel characteristics to worldly things, or we start attributing scriptural characteristics to man-written things. And we need to be careful. We need to make sure that that culture uh, remains what God wanted it to be in, in, the, in the beginning, and we don't start adding things or, or changing it to fit what we want it to be. Uh, right, right off the bat, at the beginning, you know, the king of the Lamanites, it's interesting, he never gives us his name, really, huh? Yeah. King Lamoni, but we don't know the king, of, the big king. He sends this proclamation 
throughout the land. And in verse, uh, in chapter 23, verse 3, it said, and, and thus they might, that they might go forth to preach the word according to the desires of the king, for the king had been converted unto the Lord and all his household. Therefore he sent this proclamation throughout the land unto the people, that the word of the that the word of God might have no obstruction, but it might go forth throughout the land, and that his people might be convinced concerning the wicked traditions of their fathers, and that they might be convinced that they were all brethren, that they ought not to murder, nor to plunder, nor to steal, nor to commit adultery, nor to commit any manner of wickedness. And I really like this because he's definitely using his influence, but he's not forcing people. He's he's letting them know, hey, I don't want you to harass these missionaries. You can't throw them in jail. You can't mistreat them. And I encourage you to listen to their message. But furthermore, we as a people, we should stop killing and thinking all these things, you know, and, and changing these habits. Because I think it kind of shows a really good balance between him using his uh, station and his ability to influence, but also... Uh, not doing what he did before where, you know, he meets his son and he's like, hey, you didn't show up to dinner. I'm going to kill you, you know. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing with this Nephite, this liar? You can definitely tell he's he's been tempered and has had a change of heart, you know, which I think leads to them being even more successful. Yeah, definitely. Well, as they go and they're starting to convert all of these groups of people, it talks about all the different lands that they go and they convert these entire cities, you know, and it, I thought it was interesting that they get to the point where they're, they don't, they no longer want to be called Lamanites. And I think that that's because they, they themselves are changing as a people. Their, their culture is changing and they're looking at what they used to be and they kind of want a, a rebirth as a people. You know, we want to be renamed. We want to have a new name. And they they choose their name to be the Anti-Nephi-Lehi's. And it's interesting because they are paying homage to a family and to, a, to their forefather that is to bring in Nephi instead of Lamanite, instead of Laman, right, uh, was interesting. And also that they... It, it just kind of symbolizes we're, what we're about as a different thing now. We're an industrious people. We're doing, we're relying on open correspondence with the Nephites. It says they start to interact with them a lot more. And I think that that's really, we, we're changing. We're different now. Uh, starting with the name and then going on to a lot of other behaviors that uh, I think when you see people who truly are converted to the gospel, whether they were born into the church or born outside the church, when they become converted to the gospel and you start to see them really taking hold of that, they change a lot. I and mean, it should be that way. You know, what What are your priorities now? What are the things that you consider to be most important in your life? It might not be what you, it shouldn't be what it was before. Well, your, we've gone through something kind of similar, you know, with the prophet re, reiterating the actual name of the church and how we should ourselves that it draws our attention and it I don't think any of us thought you know I purposely want to hide the name of Jesus Christ and and glorify Mormon more 
but that I mean that that's kind of like a side effect of not using the name pro correctly and how we're viewed by others. But I think the the shift was how do we make Christ more center stage? How do we let everyone know without a doubt what we believe in and whom we we follow and avoid any confusion? Even though Mormon is an awesome person, to model your life after Mormon, you wouldn't go wrong, right? You know, he, he's a great prophet and individual. But it's like that's still one step of separation from the actual source. And not the only, actual source is Christ. Not only that, but as great as Mormon was, he was a mortal man and he probably had flaws, you know. And to elevate him to this status that we're calling our, ourselves that all the time, it's kind of what you're seeing with a lot of these changes happening in in. Um, renaming of historical monuments or of things where it's like we're, we're noticing that this person had a, a, another side to them and who who does not have a dark side to them right who doesn't have something that they did in their life that is maybe not so great uh, the only person would be Jesus Christ and so if we don't want to be in a situation where Oh, well, we got to be careful about renaming our church, you know, let's name it after Christ. Let's highlight the fact that our church is the church of Jesus Christ. You know, it's not any mortal human being that is subject to sin, right? Jesus Christ was the perfect example. And so when you look at that and you say, who's our church named after? What is our, our doctrine based on? I... I think it's also tempting for people to think, well, for 40-some-odd years, we've been doing it this way. So you're saying all those people were wrong? You're saying well, we had, you know, 17 prophets before, and, and they didn't catch this or didn't, you know. or And it's like what, the, what we need to understand is that continuous revelation gives us specific information for our time. And maybe it wasn't that big a deal to not differentiate back then but it is now and yep. and that's what we've been tasked with and it's may seem simple meaning it's it reminds me of that scripture of uh in second nephi where where he says where he's talking about the fire and serpents and he says because of the easiness of the way there were many who didn't look and perished and, and this is kind of our fiery serpent moment where because the easiness of the way, because you think, oh, well, the name won't matter. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm, not, I'm just going to say whatever I say. I'm going to call things home teaching. I'm not going to call them ministering. I want to do this. And it's like, well, go ahead and don't look. And because they appear so easy and inconsequential to you, you will miss the big picture. You will miss the miracle behind it. And I think we have a tendency to do that. And that's why the scriptures are written for us. And they seem like the same themes over and over and over again. Um, and the Lord, you know, he reminds us so many times of these principles that, you know, for him, there isn't a commandment that is inconsequential. And if it's easy, then there should be even more desire for us to just do it and do it right because out of all out of the hard ones maybe those i can't but the easy ones you got me i got you. I, I i can do that you know yeah. we kind of tend to think oh it's too easy and 
and it, it kind of reminds you of Naaman, you know, the general, the Syrian general that goes to to um, is it Elijah yeah. to be cleansed of leprosy. Mm-hmm. And the servant says, if you would have been asked to do a great thing, you would have done it. But because it's the River Jordan, you don't think it's a big deal? And and uh, and and the guy, he's stuck on, well, why why did he even come out and talk to me? Why did he send his servant? Don't we have greater waters than this in Damascus or wherever? And, and it's and we, we live in that same world. We have people nowadays that take instructions or guidelines and decide that's too simple or that doesn't fit with the way I think or I don't think that will be effective. Therefore, I'm going to disregard it. I, I don't think it's – I think it's stupid. I think it's silly. And then instead of just not being compliant, most people start becoming toxic about it. And it's yeah. like, well, is it is it really that simple? Can you just do this and and and? I think that that's where that that scripture, when they're learned, they think they're wise, right? It's like you think you know better, and so you're like, well, I know what they're trying to get at by calling it ministering instead of home teaching, but I've been calling it home teaching my entire life, and if I slip up, so be it. And I've been calling myself Mormon, and I've been talking about Mormon things for so long. If I use that word, everyone knows what I'm talking about, and I don't mean that Mormon is better than Christ. It's not that big a deal. But this isn't the first time the name of the church has been an issue. When Joseph Smith first restored the church, and they were like, what should we call this thing, you know? And they went and asked the Lord, what should we call this church? And he's like, you're going to name it after Jesus Christ, because it's his church, and we want everyone to know that. And I think it was really clear back then. And over time, it kind of became not as uh, much of a priority for people to remind each other of that. And we had other things we were focusing on, um, especially I, I remember when I was really little, Ezra Taft Benson was bringing up the Book of Mormon all the time. It was the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon. And I think that in many ways, that's when it really solidified in popular culture that we were the Mormons, right? Mm-hmm. And we embraced that because it was like, yes, that's what separates us from the rest, right? That book is what is a, a very clear differentiator between us and all the other Christian churches out there. And so it was good to do that for a while. And then it was like, okay, now that everyone knows who we are and what we're about, Let's let's reiterate exactly where we come from and what we're founded on. And I think that, that was really important that uh, President Nelson remind us, Mormon's great and everything, but we need to reiterate that we are the Church of Jesus Christ. So we're going to stop using that word so much, and we're going to change domain names, and we're going to change it from lds.org to churchofjesuschrist.org, because that matters. You know, a name matters a lot. It's funny because... You know, there's that change. There's the mission age. There's ministering. There's they did a couple of things with area seventies. There's all of these changes. You know, and and this right here, the come follow me curriculum. You know, the 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 changing of the standard block from three hours to two. You know, there's been a lot of changes as far as uh, meetings and different instructions on how to encourage meetings not just to take over the Sunday schedule for leaders as well. Yep. All of these things happen, and then 
God knowing that we were going to be in the situation that we're in now with this COVID virus, with this kind of a racial divide that's kind of going on, with with um, this onslaught of um, opinions and misinformation and, and battling of news. It's almost like an information war for for political posturing and, and things like that. The Lord knowing those things are going to happen and who knows what else is going to come from this. He decided to tell his prophet, hey, help them understand that this is my church. Help them understand that they need to treat each other good and look after each other, not just report numbers. Yep. Okay? Help them understand that church isn't this three long production. It's really, we're going to focus more on having meaningful classes and you may only have those classes every other week. You know, one week priesthood, one week Sunday school, one week Relief Society, one week Sunday school, right? And um, let's give our young people a better program that focuses on them driving goals, setting setting objectives, and trying to become well-rounded spiritually, physically, socially, and mentally, and then put them more in leadership roles. That he asks us to do, and then these things happen. So it's not a coincidence, you know. It was a simplification, you know, reduce and simplify has always been uh, the motto recently as well. And I think it was a clarification. Let's let let's remove this debate from it, right? There's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna get complicated really fast. Let's make sure this is clear and, and direct who we are and what we stand for. Uh, that way when other things come up that that's never in question well whose church is this or what is the point of this or what are we doing let's make that very clear right now so that when things get a lot more complicated socially that's never in question right let's let's make sure that we're clear on that Um, I was going to share the scripture in chapter 23 verse 6 well verse 5 we can start with verse 5 and thousands were brought to the knowledge of the Lord. Yea, thousands were brought to believe in the traditions of the Nephites. And they were taught the records and prophecies, which were handed down even to the present time. And as sure as the Lord liveth, so sure as many as believed, and as many as were brought to the knowledge of the truth, through the preachings of Ammon, Ammon and his brethren, according to the spirit of revelation and prophecy and the power of God working miracles in them. Yea, as many of the Lamanites as believed in their preachings and were converted unto the Lord, never did fall away. You know, and that's, that's, there's a couple absolutes in the Book of Mormon. There's a couple when, you know, uh, Mormon's talking about Captain Moroni. If every man had been and could be like Captain Moroni, the very powers of hell would be shaken forever. And then it kind of says, and he was like Ammon and the sons of Messiah. So it wasn't just Captain Moroni. And then what do we know about Ammon and the sons of Messiah and, and Ammon the Younger? They were at one point called the vilest of sinners, right? So it's not you have to have this perfect record. It's you have to be able to allow the gospel of Jesus Christ to change your life, you know? 
Well, and think of these people, the anti-Nephi Lehi. They were also a murderous and sinful people. And when they started to realize what life was really about and what the Savior had done or would do for them, um, the changes they made were so drastic. I mean, we're talking societal shift in the biggest forms. Entire cities, entire kingdoms basically saying, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to change the way that we act. We're going to change our our very livelihoods. And then the whole putting down of weapons. Um, this is really interesting to me because I think a lot in in culture today, it's a lot about whoever carries a bigger stick or even just verbally or philosophically, I need to bludgeon other people with my ideas until they comply, right? I just have to beat people down with bigger points and more data and uh, this, that article. And if I just put a stream of articles supporting my thing, then people will believe me, right? Uh, And I think that this is Heavenly Father kind of showing us to this example that sometimes that's not the best way to go about things. Overpowering others with thoughts or even physically, whatever it may be, isn't always the best answer. And he points out several times that they put down their weapons, they decided to bury them so that they would stay pure, so they would not even have the opportunity to take them up again, right? We're committing wholeheartedly to burying this stuff, and we're not going to act that way. We've had enough. We've been this way for so long, and we've seen the tragedies it has caused in our lives and in the lives of our people. We're going to put this stuff away forever. And so when they do that, they become immediately very weak, right, (laughs) to protect themselves. And when they're attacked by the Lamanites, he points out a couple of times in here uh, that over a thousand people were slain. Because they wouldn't fight back. But he points out these people will, they're they're going to be okay. In the long run, they're going to be accepted into the kingdom of their father because they stuck to their standards and they didn't change. And then, of course, the conversion of some of those people doing the slaying when they started to realize, wow, they're not fighting back. Why would they do this? You know, their faith is so strong. Why Why is that? It's a, very, it's a very extreme example. And we don't see a whole lot of examples quite this drastic where people are like, you know, we're, especially later on in the Book of Mormon, even when we have these wars, and it's like, you know what, we have to take up arms against them because it's the only way. In this situation, they, they've said, you know what, we have to not do that. We have to not be participants in even anymore. Even later, later, you know, they'll they'll get to you know they'll kind of get their little city state amongst the Nephites, and they'll continue to prosper and they'll get along great, you know. And then the Nephites are in trouble, and then they'll even say, you know, what maybe we should, maybe this is a different situation. But then Helaman says, no, no, it's better not. Let's gather the younglings, you know, that haven't made the promise. Let's send them out. And you get the miraculous story. And part of that miracle was, wasn't probably because they were exceptional fighters, which they probably were. 
but it was probably because their parents were true to their covenants. And so the Lord was able to bless them, you know. I really like in verse 7, 8, and 9 of 24, when the king, he talks about so many times, he says, I thank my God that my beloved people, that our great God has in his goodness sent our brethren, the Nephites, you know, sent Amon and, and them. And eight, I thank my great God that he has given us a portion of his spirit to soften our hearts. And he has opened a correspondence with our brethren, the Nephites. And nine, I thank my God that, that my that by opening this correspondence we have been convinced of our sins and our many murders which we have committed. Ten, I thank my God, yea, my great God, that he has granted unto us that we might repent of these things, and all that he has forgiven us of those our many sins and murders which we have committed and taken away the guilt from our hearts through the merits of his son. They just received forgiveness for all of this, right? Yeah. And he's showing so much gratitude. And he's like, why would we keep these these weapons that we use to sin available to continue, even out of temptation, to do it again? It's like if an alcoholic finally gets clean and goes through the repentance process and is like, I'm, I'm free from that vice, but I keep a little bit of liquor in the cabinet. I don't touch it. It's there, but I, I know better now. It's going to tempt you. It is, it's like, why would you do that? Why would you keep that around? You know, if yeah. you have a pornography addiction, why would you keep a computer where that's, that's not visible to other people in your family? It's a temptation. It's a threat in your own home. Right? It, and it's them saying, we're going to eliminate this as even a possibility because we are so grateful for the forgiveness we've been given that we have to we have to preserve this we can't allow ourselves to go back into that they probably knew it's going to be a temptation at some point judging by the previous chapters where it talks about how you know the lamanites would go and attack people at random sometimes to steal from them or to whatever they probably knew this is probably going to come up again and we got to make sure that we don't get caught up in this kind of sin again you know they they understood their culture you know, that they yeah. just came from. They didn't do this uh, ignorantly. Oh, there's no bad repercussions that are happening. I think they knew full well that, you know, in verse 16, he says, And now, my brethren, if our brethren seek to destroy us, behold, we will hide away our swords. Yea, we will bury them deep in the earth, that they may keep, that they may be kept right as a testimony that we have never used them. At that last day, and if our brethren destroy us, behold, we shall go to our God and shall be saved. And they knew full well that, you know, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to get rid of these swords. We're going to make this covenant. And if they kill us, it's okay, because we'll we'll be clean and spotless. We have kept this promise, you know. And to a lot of them, that was the that did happen. You know, it kind of reminds me of. Um, you know, when, when Alma the Elder and the people of King Linhai, I want to say, uh, um, they both need to get back to Saramla. And Alma, you know, he has kind of a better time, and, and the people that are left there with King Noah, they kind of have to go through war. But they both go through different challenges, you know. 
you could look at those scenarios of being delivered and say, well, the Lord didn't send a Cadillac and in 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 a paved road and in a jet plane with caviar in it to take them to their no, they had to struggle. It was not easy. And if they would have stopped and given up at any point, it would have been a failure. You know, same same thing with these individuals. They they kneel down in front of the attacking Lamanites and begin to pray as they're being slaughtered. And it's not just a few, it's thousands. And at some point, if if someone, a third party person may be looking at this and say, this is a total failure. This is going to work. They're not going to save them. Half of them died or, or however many, right? And I think we have that temptation between within us. We think that we are, if we're doing the right thing, we shouldn't be scuffed. We shouldn't be injured. We, you know, and... God is merciful where he will correct all these things. But it doesn't mean that the path is going to be easy. No one gets out of here without any bruises or scars. You know what I mean? But we have to show our determination. Well, yeah. In in verse 19, it says, And thus we see that when the Lamanites were brought to believe and to know the truth, they were firm. And they would suffer even unto death rather than commit sin. And thus we see that they buried their weapons of peace or they buried their weapons of war for peace. And I think that this is this is real courage. Sometimes real courage is being under attack and not not reciprocating. Real courage is someone berates you online or in person cusses you out or something and you just don't answer. Yeah. You leave it at that. And you, you might look like you lost. The world might think, oh, they're quiet, which means that they, they give up, they lose. But have you, in the grand spectrum of things, aren't you preserving your own self-respect and your respect for a fellow human being by saying, I, I'm just going to not engage with this. I'm going to leave it at that. It was something like Elder Holland. He said something similar to the effect that if Christ had to go through what he had to go through, all his injustices, uh, us as his followers, we can't expect anything different. You know what I mean? And it's kind of like, you know, turn the other cheek. If you're going to get good at that, you got to get good at getting hit the first time, you know? <laughs> and, and that's the thing is virtue not tested is not virtue at all. And that's why we're here. You know, that's why we have to look at the big picture. You have to look at the plan of salvation. We are here to choose good and reject evil. Choosing good comes at consequences. Some of them are very uh, unpleasant at in the immediate moment. But in the long term, when you look at the big picture, you know, there are many people who have died for what's right. And to us, it may not be asked of us to do such a great thing to us they may be asked can you just not be rude to that person can you look at them as a son and daughter of god and not just what's it called attack them online or 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 make fun of them or 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 think or maybe even not externally maybe it's internally you know we we right now we're in such a combative culture where and, and this happens to me. I get tempted to think, oh, that person, they're so out there. They don't know what they're talking about. 
and and I like I almost like lower them in like this person is just not worth you know they they're like almost like a subhuman or something you know you you treat people and and you start classifying people oh this person's that kind of person oh or this person's that kind of political person oh they don't know they don't appreciate my beliefs in this aspect or or they and and before you know it you start dehumanizing individuals and most of it is done internally in your mind and online it's become a big escape for people to not realize is this how christ would like for you to think about others and is this how christ would like for you to comment or chat or post about others you know is that really are your actions showing that you have charity the pure love of christ towards everyone are you exemplifying the scripture of love thy neighbor as thyself and then when he says well what about our enemies well anyone can do the your friends the publicans you know they they love their friends how do you think you're better than them you have to be like the good samaritan and there's many of these, and these are old-fashioned, And but if we don't liken them to them, we miss the whole point of these scriptures. Well, yeah, and it's it's hard because sometimes those attacks feel very personal. They feel very targeted. They feel like they're putting into question, you know, who you are at, at, at your core. And you feel like, oh, I can't just take that. I need to stand up for myself, right? And... Uh, yeah, sometimes I think that's necessary to, to stand up for yourself and your beliefs and your standards. Other times I think it's like, am I actually going to make a change? Am I saying this out of love for them? Or am I saying this just to dig in deeper? Just to say, ha, I gotcha. Are you saying it because you think that this is an actual way to make change happen or to change minds and hearts? Or are you doing it because... You just don't want to look like a loser. It's okay sometimes. I, I, I honestly, I picture myself in that gathering of people, anti-Nephi-Lehi's, as you're starting to pray, and the Lamanites get there, and they just start killing people. And you're sitting there, and you kind of open your eyes, and you look around at each other, and you're like, what are we going to do? What do we do? You know? They're not stopping. What do we do? Yeah. I mean, man, can you imagine? And then to see them stop and to see them look around and be like, whoa, they're not they're not fighting back. And then the how much stronger you feel because you're like, we lost loved ones, friends, but our our God has stopped them from killing us and is converting them in front of our eyes, right? You know how hard that would be? You you kill my sister, and now you, we forgive you, and you join our tribe, and and you you know what I mean. Yeah. That would be unheard of in our current society, right? Like that we can forgive people. There's a lot of things, and the internet has made it very public of people's past, what they say, how they've acted, and we almost like as soon as a mistake has been made, that person. To outer darkness forever. You're branded something you could never change. It's totally opposite to what the gospel of Christ is inviting all of us to do. And the funny thing is, is 
be careful of the the beam in your eye and not the moat in your neighbor's eye or the or the speck or whatever the beam in the yeah i'm trying to say but because if if we work out our salvation if we understand why we need the savior we are going to be filled with this gratitude that the king of the lamanites has we're so grateful to be counted as part of his sheep and and in his kingdom that it's okay for us to forgive others for there's no judgment there yeah they didn't sit there and say okay now that you've stopped killing us we're gonna throw the book at you and we're gonna lock you up and throw away the key you know because you did this horrible stuff they're like no we did that stuff too we know where you're coming from we know what you're experiencing right now this huge change and this realization that this is wrong and even though you did this to us, because we have, we're so grateful to just having been forgiven for these horrible things we've done, we can't judge you. And we have to forgive you the same way we were forgiven. I think when you start looking at other people as um, imperfect people trying their best, and you look at yourself as an imperfect person trying your best, and you really start to look at what your weaknesses and flaws are, um, it becomes a lot harder to judge people for, for their shortcomings. And you're much more willing to look at people and say, yeah, you know what, that guy rubs me the wrong way or I don't necessarily agree with him or understand him, but he's doing his best. And I am too. And I would hope that he would have understanding of me. So I don't know. This This example to me, it's just so incredible to sit there and think, of how many things happened so quickly and um, all of it because the Spirit of the Lord worked in these people and, and worked to, to change their view of the world and on life. And it, that's not limited to them, you know. You know, and that was, you know, the, that was a big test for them. And it led to more conversions. It led to changing the heart. And you look at that wave of Lamanites who, who probably fell upon the innocent anti-Nephi-Lehites that were praying. In, in a way, I mean, it's a terrible thing, but they came to a realization that how could we do this? You know, that they were so helpless and so willing to lay down their lives for what they believe that it touched their hearts. Maybe there would have been any other way that that could have happened, but that they could see their fellow countrymen who they judged to be these guys. They've turned coats. They've gone against what we believe. Let's go get them. And then you see someone who actually acts and believes what they believe. It has such a power to like, you know, hit people and say, "How can this be? How can you? What isn't life the most important thing? No." It's our covenant to God that's the most important thing. It's like, but no one really believes that. Come on, you know? No, go ahead, you know? And, and it, it's kind of interesting because we don't, we don't have very much, or at least it doesn't feel like we have very much of that nowadays. Anyway, um, you know, I found interesting in 24 where we – it talks a little bit about the descendants of the priest of Noah, the people of Amulon and his seed, and that they are chased by the Nephites 
I mean, the Lamanites, they're, most of them are put to death. And then it even says that even to this day, the Lamanites are hunting them like wild beasts in the wilderness. And it kind of talks about how this is fulfilling the promise or the prophecy that Abinadi said to Kinoa. It says that you and your seed will suffer like, like I have and will be driven about, I think it says... Uh, 12 in verse 12 the priest of Noah that their seed should cause many to be put to death in the like manner as he was and that they should be scattered abroad and slain even as a sheep having no shepherd is driven and slain by wild beasts and now behold these are the words these words were verified for they were driven by Lamanites and they were hunted and they were smitten and it's interesting because this Abinadi died and he was, at that moment, he was given the spirit of prophecy to say, hey, what you do to me is going to happen to you, just so you know. <laughs> but I die anyway, and I've delivered my message. Good luck. But if you're a bystander, you see the priest of no escape. Then they, like, escape again. And then they gain a lot of power with the Lamanites. And they look like they're prospering. And they have, you know, um, kind of seats of power. Some of them are like, uh, one of them, I think, becomes like the leader of their army at some point. Um, and to the person on the outside, you may think, Abinadi, you were wrong. They're actually doing really good. And they kidnapped all these daughters of the Lamanites and they're continuing in their wickedness. And, you know, why isn't God punishing them? But, you know, it comes full circle. And it, maybe this is like a generation and a half after. But it's interesting because that kind of happens to us. We view people that are prospering, doing the wrong thing. And we've been told you should do the right thing. You should obey the word of wisdom so you can run and not be weary. And you're running and you're thinking, I am very weary. And this guy who smokes is running faster than me. You know, you know? Yeah. Elder Uchtdorf had a little clip on YouTube, kind of that exact scenario when he was in boot camp. He said, hey, I kept the word of wisdom, and I saw all these guys that were not keeping the word of wisdom outperform me on the PT, on the on the physical aspect of things. But it's not just like that. In time, the blessings come through, and we. one of the themes of the Book of Mormon is wickedness is never happiness. And you will see how there's almost like a false positive of people who prosper doing the wrong thing but it doesn't last and prosperity is subjective to the lame to the lamanites prosperity was having power and being able to defeat our enemy to the nephites prosperity was do we have the gospel how many people are joining the church are we living in peace sure we get fine linens and silks and things but that always leads to pride well, no, I think when they start to see the the pro, the prosperity among not only the Nephites but now the Lamanites and now the anti-Nephi Lehi's, um, that's when Ammon starts to he has this whole chapter where he just kind of is showing gratitude. He's talking to his brethren and he's just like, "Can you believe what's what's been happening? What we've been able to accomplish?" and I think verse 12 is one of my favorite scriptures of all time. And I remember on my mission, there was one area where we had a lot of success. And uh, 
I can't remember if it was the assistants or the mission president himself that called us and was like, hey, we're going to have zone conference coming up. We want to know what's the what's the secret to your success in that area because we haven't had success in that area in a long time. So just kind of come prepared to share something. Like, what are you guys doing to, to light a fire over there? And I remember like the next day in my personal study coming across this scripture as if it was God reminding me, hey, Elder Jensen, uh, you are nothing, right? Uh, in a way, verse 12, Yea, I know that I am nothing as to my strength, I am weak. Therefore, I will not boast of myself, but I will boast of my and my God. For in his strength I can do all things, yea, behold, many mighty miracles have we wrought in this land for which we will praise his name forever. And I think, because his brothers kind of call him out, and they're like, hey, aren't you getting kind of uh, full of yourself here, talking about all these great things we've done? And he's like, no, understand, I'm not saying this because I think we're so great. I know, and he's not saying I'm nothing, like I'm worthless. He's saying it's not because of me. It's not because of us. We were just instruments in the Lord's hand. Our willingness to, to serve brought this to pass through the Spirit. Um, and he's reminding everybody that through God we can do all things. We need to keep ourselves humble in that sense and not start um, going around saying, well, it's because of our righteousness and because we choose to do this and that that we are such good people and we're such good whatever. He's saying, no, it's we're doing our best and the Lord is blessing us and blessing those around us. It's because of him. I think a lot of times, especially as members of the church, we like to say, well, we are we are happy because of who we are. And it's like, no, you're happy because God is blessing you. Okay. And if you're obedient, God will bless you. Well, I also I, I think we also we don't realize that I don't know, maybe I fixate on these things way too much about how things really are, that they're difficult. That they're it's you know, we can read the summary, we can read the 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 summary of the events and these great things happen. But even they themselves, you know, in in, in chapter twenty six, uh, verse twenty seven, and he says, And now when our hearts were depressed and we were about to turn back Behold, the Lord comforted us, and he said, Go amongst thy brethren, the Lamanites, and bear with patience thine afflictions, and I will give you success. And and that is comforting, but it's also not comforting, because he's <laughs> saying there's going to be some afflictions, and you're going to have to be patient. And then in 29, halfway through 29, he says, And we have been cast out, we were mocked, we were spit upon, and smote upon our cheeks, and we were stoned and taken and bound with strong cords and cast into prison. And through the power and the wisdom of God, we were delivered. And we suffered all manner of afflictions. And all this, and perhaps we might be the means to saving some soul. And we suppose that our joy would be full if perhaps we could be the means of saving some. And now behold, we look forward to seeing the fruits. And, and then he says... Did we save just some? Nay, there were many, yea, and we can witness to their sincerity because of the love towards their brethren and towards us. For behold, they had rather sacrificed their lives than even to take the life of their enemy, and they had buried their weapons of war. And it, it kind of comes full circle. They get to see that, 
you were the means of helping people come to Christ. And you're about to witness how strong that conviction was. So much that they're even to, willing to lay down their lives. But I think we, we forget to take some of these lessons to say, are we going to have moments in our lives where we're about to turn back? We're depressed. It's not working. It's not working with my job. Or it's not working at church. Or it's not working with my family. Or whatever, right? Do we take comfort in saying we're doing the right thing? We can continue down this path. And continuing down the path doesn't mean it all of a sudden it, it's a very beautiful path. It means you may be cast out. You may be mocked, spit upon, stoned. You look at the Lamanites. They were masters of bloodthirsty killing. They probably knew how to torture you, you know? <laughs> this wasn't, you know, like <laughs> stumble across some angry teenagers at the park. No, these were some some warriors. So when they say they suffered all manner of afflictions. And I think sometimes we we expect our journeys or our desire righteous desires or what the Lord tells us to do to be a different path than this. But you look at the whole chapter, and there's great things. They're happy. I think they would do it again in a heartbeat. But if you stop the journey, and you get off the bus, and you and you quit, basically, you may never get to that full circle moment where you see the blessings start coming through. When you see all the pains turn into happiness, you know? And well, that's that whole, temptation. That whole part of never did fall away. That's imperative to really be able to experience the joy of all that can come from all those afflictions. You have to not fall away. You have to not quit. In the Sunday School Manual of Come Follow Me, it says that in Alma 23 through 29, those chapters that we cover this week, the word joy appears 24 times, making these chapters a good place to learn about how living the gospel and sharing it brings joy. And then there's a quote from President Nelson. He says, when the focus of our lives is on, the God, is on God's plan of salvation and Jesus Christ and his gospel, we can feel joy regardless of what is happening or not happening in our lives. Joy comes from and because of him. He is the source of all joy. It doesn't matter what's happening or not happening. It doesn't matter if there's a pandemic happening. It doesn't matter if there's social unrest that's happening. We can find joy in the gospel. We can understand that the bigger picture of the plan of salvation over, overarches everything. That there's a reason why all this is happening, right? And what's not happening? So you might sit there and say, well, I didn't get that promotion. Or um, I'm having health problems and I can't do this anymore. Or whatever it may be that's in your life that's being an affliction. Um, if you focus only on that moment, and then that affliction, yeah, you're going to you're gonna not feel so great. And you're going to feel like I'm getting the short end of this stick in life. But if you start saying, this is just a moment, this is what's happening to me right now, but the plan of salvation is much bigger than this moment. It's much bigger than this. And I have to keep my eye focused on the big picture, right? This moment might be absolutely miserable, but... It, I will overcome it. I will overcome it. When when the anti Nephi Lehi's were watching their brethren be slaughtered, 
they had to have this idea that this will not be permanent. We will be okay. They will be saved in the end. He brought it up several times, and I think in a couple of the different chapters, saying that they have their salvation, right? That they were clean. They kept to their covenant, and it doesn't matter what happened to them. They will be fine. Because the plan of salvation is more powerful than any affliction you can be facing. The atonement makes up for all of that. We have to keep that in our minds. Yeah, I, I mean, what drove it home to me was at the end of verse twenty, chapter twenty-six, verse thirty-seven, where Ammon he ends in saying, "My brethren, we see that God is mindful of every people, whatsoever land they may be in. Yea, He numbereth His people, and His bowels of mercy are over all." the earth and now this is my joy and my great thanksgiving i really like that because he's kind of having a moment where he's saying i have seen how much god loves the lamanites he loves them so much and he's willing to forgive them and help them and i'm so happy that we were just a part in making this happen but it's him you know that did this and he cared for them. And he used us. And he's kind of all the puzzle pieces are coming together to say, wow, he had a plan. And we just happened to be able to help along the way. And I think that's very good for us to remember that Jesus Christ, he is the leader of our church. But he's also the savior of the world. And he is mindful of every people, all of them. And he uses his children that know better and have prosperity and have better opportunities than others to help the ones that don't know better, that don't have those opportunities. And I know right now we are living in a time where everyone wants to, uh, for reasonable reasons of, of COVID and stuff, wants to isolate and worry about our area and our country and stuff. But we have to always also think that we have been given much. We have been given the gospel and many blessings. And it is our responsibility to help those that don't have. Because that's what discipleship is. How can we follow a master who spent his entire life helping others and going to the downtrodden, going to the ones that were labeled as sinners, as adulterers, as thieves, and spending time with them, comforting them, helping them. And the easy ones, if he wanted to glow and, and receive glory, he could have gone to the publicans and the Sadducees and told them what they wanted to hear and help aggrandize them and make them feel good. But that's not what he was here for. He wasn't here to make things comfortable and to keep things the same. He, were, he came to make some drastic changes, to turn the other cheek, and by turning the other cheek, giving the biggest slap to society's face he could have, you know? And and I think if we are to say we are following this man, we're following Jesus Christ, we're following his teachings, we're going to be his disciples and spend our life trying to become like him, we cannot ignore the fact that there are people that need help, and if we have the means to help, we need to help. And that doesn't always need to be money. It could be time. It could be knowledge. It could be kindness. And it could be where if everybody else is piling on 
in one area to throw rocks at certain people, that we better not be in that crowd. You know, we better watch ourselves and be mindful because we are, we take upon ourselves the name of Jesus Christ. And that is not a small thing. And that may be the greatest thing we have to answer for is, what did you do in my name? Chapter 29 is the, the famous declaration of Alma. It starts out, oh, that I were an angel and could have the wish of mine heart, that I might go forth and speak with the trump of God, with a voice to shake the earth and cry repentance unto every people. I think what he's expressing here is he's seeing the, the huge changes that have happened in the Lamanites. He's seeing the change that happened in himself and in the sons of Mosiah. And he's like, he's feeling his physical limitations. I can only t talk to those I can see. I can only spread the message to those around me. And he, he understands the magnitude and importance of the message. And he's just kind of like, I wish I could just tell the whole world all at once this news. Um, and that's kind of a good example of how, how we should kind of feel about it. That this thing is not some sort of, it's not a, a finite resource. The gospel is not a finite resource that if I give it away, then I don't have it anymore or something like that. It's something that can grow. And as we share it, it will continue to grow. And there's a little bit of frustration in verse 3. But behold, I am a man, and do sin in my wish, for I ought to be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted unto me. He's kind of saying, you know, I, I can't not be grateful for the experiences and the influence I have been able to have. Yeah. And I think that that's also a good example to remind us, be grateful for everything, even your limitations, right? Because then it shows that what God is really capable of um, is beyond you. You know, I, it's funny because in the manual, you know, one of the sections, it tells us serving the Lord brings joy. And it asks us to compare chapter 29 and chapter 26. 26 is when Ammon is saying, whoa, check out all these great things that happen, you know. And 29 is kind of Alma doing the same thing in a way, saying, Wow, this is amazing. But you can't fault them because if they receive real joy serving, he's saying, man, if I could serve more, if I could just do more. I, I really like verse 8 again. <laughs> I don't know. I really like these verses. Where, but it says, for behold, the Lord doth grant unto all nations of their own nation and tongue to teach his word, yea, in wisdom, all that he has seen seeth fit that they should have. Therefore, we see that the Lord doth counsel and wisdom according to that which is just and true. And I really like it. I mean, the Book of Mormon, it's, it's a big blessing to us to have this book because it teach, shows us that the Lord deals with other nations. You know, so far we had the Bible, and it was very much, very much dealt with a very specific region of the world. And the Book of Mormon is telling us on the other side of the world, the Lord was working and had prophets and things. And there is more. We know there is more. That it's the lost tribes. There's there's more in all nations that the Lord has worked with. And and I don't know. I find that really comforting because I think one of the biggest mis um, characteristics or just 
the way that Christianity has been labeled over the years as a very exclusive club. Uh, the Book of Mormon is trying to shatter that illusion and say, you know what, the Lord is the Lord of all the earth, and He is mindful of all His children. And there is a plan and there is a way that they all will get the opportunity. And so here's the plan of salvation. It'll tell you there's some opportunities that come now, some that will come later. And and for us that we have it, we have the uh, the the mandate to do the best we can now and to share 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 the gospel. You can't go through all these amazing missionary chapters and not think to yourself, what can I do to share the gospel? Where are the anti-Nephites living around me that just need someone to be a good example, to invite them, to be friends with them, to, hey, I may just labor here until the day I die. So let me be thy servant. Where do we have those moments around us? Because only then, when we genuinely are all in, will we see the opportunities. Definitely, and I think that a lot of these are just cool stories if we let them be just cool stories. If we just look at it as, well, it's a really unique novel, right? Um, But it should compel us to reflect on what our influence is and what our impact is on the world around us. You don't become like Moroni just by wanting to be respected like him. You don't become like Moroni just by saying, oh, Moroni is awesome and I want to be like him. You become by getting out and doing something, by talking to people, by by engaging with others. And maybe you'll never reach that level or whatever, but really most of these people is just because they started to share. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow and in time you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.